Good morning, Bokertov, and welcome to today's Tanya class. It's Tuesdays, and we learn Tanya. And we're actually beginning today at the very beginning of Tanya in chapter one. We're going to explore foundational Jewish meditations, which is what Tanya is all about. Remember, Tanya is the map of your soul. The author of the Tanya is the founder of the Chabad movement, the Alter Rebbe, Rabbi Shneer Zalman of Liadi, a brilliant Kabbalist. The, the uniqueness of the book of Tanya is how it literally takes us by the hand, walks us through the labyrinths, the tunnels, the, the caves and the crevices of our own souls, the anatomy of our souls and the patholo- pathology of our souls, what's uh, nutrition, and hydration for our souls, what's good, what's bad, and what's toxic. So that's what Tanya is all about. We're starting chapter one today. And we're using this book, which is the Practical Tanya. Uh, Practical Tanya, it's available online. It's published by Kol Menachem, K-O-L-M-N-A-C-H-E-M, Kol Menachem Publications. I know it's available on Amazon.com or from kolmenachem.com. The Practical Tanya. Uh, volume one. The Tanya is going to introduce us today to, it's going to dive straight in to who we are, where we're going, and what we're trying to achieve. We're going to have an earth-shattering revelation today about who we are and what's going on inside of us in terms of our soul. But in order to do that, the Alter Rebbe opens up with the word Tanya, that's the opening word of the book. And it means we've learned. We've learned in Abraisa. Abraisa is a part of the oral Torah. Remember, Moses comes down from Mount Sinai. He brings us 10 commandments on two tablets of sapphire. He gives us uh, the five books of Moses and the written Torah. He gives us also the oral Torah, which is the Gemara and the Mishnah and the Brisa. And he also gives us the secret Torah, which is the Kabbalah. Lots of stuff he gives us, right? The, the word Tanya is a, a reference to a brysa, which is a part of the, the oral Torah. Brysa, we learned in the brysa, Tanya, we learned. It talks about an oath that, is a, is a, that each and every single soul needs to make before it is born into this earth. And the oath is as follows, that every single Jewish soul needs to swear that it will be a tzaddik, a righteous person, and it will not be a rasha, it will not be a sinner. And even if the whole world tells you that you're a tzaddik, you should be in your own eyes as a rasha. Even if the whole world tells you that you are righteous, in your own eyes, you should consider yourself as wicked. That's a very powerful oath when you think about it. You know, to think about the fact that you made that oath before you were conscious enough to make that decision on your own. I guess your soul was conscious enough. You just didn't realize it. You just don't realize now that you made the oath before you were born. It was a different consciousness. It was a soul consciousness, where now you have a soul in body consciousness. But in any event, the Torah tells us that you made that oath, that you're going to be a tzaddik and you're not going to be a rasha. The question is, what is a tzaddik? What is a righteous person? What is a rasha, a wicked person? And what is the intermediary category, what's called a bainani? Tzaddik, rasha, and bainani. What are these? 
different various categories. Now, the first page of Tanya opens up with raising several questions from the Talmud and the Mishnah about a proper understanding of these three categories of a tzaddik, a rasha, and a benini, a righteous, a, a wicked, and an intermediary person. Whilst colloquially we think that the tzaddik is one who has more righteous merits than sin, and the Russia is one who has more sins than merits, and maybe the Bainini would be the one that's equally balanced. The Altar Rebbe proves right, right off the bat in chapter one that the Bainini, the middle Jew, the intermediary Jew, actually has no sins at all. So the intermediary Jew has no sins at all. What does that tell us about the tzaddik, the righteous? He certainly has no sins at all, which leaves us wondering what on earth is going on with, you know, how, how, how do we even define ourselves? You know, you know I might have thought that maybe I'm, I'm sort of an okay kind of Jew, so maybe I'm on the fence. But now I realize if a Benini, the middle Jew, never sins at all, then maybe that means that I'm a Russia, the one who sins. Uh, that all of us maybe are Russia's kind of kind of a startling uh, um, realization. The Alter Rebbe then proceeds to explain that we can only understand the difference between the tzaddik and the benini, the righteous and the intermediary Jew, only with an, an appreciation of the various levels of godly service. It's only when we are able to understand what our soul is made up of, how our soul operates, that we can understand that there's going to be a difference between a tzaddik who's righteous and a benini who is evidently not righteous because he doesn't have the name tzaddik, but both of them don't sin. How, what's going to be the difference? And that's what's going to happen in the next 12 chapters. As the Alter Rebbe will uncover Hasidic perspectives of the Jew's essence by explaining the forces that operate within the Jew that we will be starting that today and what Hashem expects of the Jew, and how a Jew needs, is, expect, is supposed to use his faculties to, to, to serve Hashem. And that's what's going to happen in the next 12 chapters. But right off the bat, the Altar Rebbe lays down the groundwork that we're going to be um, discussing the anatomy of the Jew, of the soul of, of the Jew, in order to be able to understand the various categories of Jews. Now, Towards the end of the chapter, the Altarab establishes that we have not one, but two souls within us. Each of us has two complete, completely separate, completely distinct souls within us. Two complete souls. Each one of them has a full set of faculties, which we're going to be discussing in subsequent chapters, what those full faculties are. We'll be describing how each one of them has a full set, set of intellect and a full set of emotions together comprising the 10 sephiros, the 10 attributes of expression. Now, that means that we don't just have two separate inclinations, like a good inclination and an evil inclination. We actually have two separate souls. It's, it's pretty crowded inside of us when you when you study this Tanya chapter one and you realize that there's actually two of me inside of me. And that might start uh, validating some of our, um, you know, some of our uh, schizophrenia maybe. Sometimes maybe some of our conflict or contradic contradicting, contradictory behaviors. 
you know, sometimes we, we, we behave in a manner that is inconsistent with our beliefs or convictions. And when you realize that you have not one but two separate souls within yourself, now you begin to reassess your own hypocrisy, right? For example, a Jew who is an avowed atheist will meet a Chabad rabbi and suddenly start laying to fill in with him in the street. If you're an atheist, then why are you laying to fill in? If you're an atheist, then why are you coming to say Yizkor for your mother? What's the connection? Why would you be saying Yizkor if you don't believe in God? That's a total contradiction. Why would you brisk your son or put a mezuzah on your door or be sure to be at a Seder if you don't believe in God? On the flip side, somebody who does claim to believe in God, yet sometimes they can behave in a way which is evil. They could steal or they could cheat others in business. Or they could lie. They could be very careful of the food that comes into their mouth, but complete disregard for the, for the words that come out of their mouth. You can have a Jew with a beard and a yarmulke, a white beard and a yarmulke, and he spews slander and evil and malice about other people like there's no tomorrow. How, how do you understand this? How do we reconcile this uh, complete hypocrisy? Once we realize what Titania is telling us in chapter one, that we have not one but two souls within us, we begin to realize, oh, it's starting to make sense. This is good because suddenly we, we realize it dawns upon us that it depends which of our two souls is being expressed. And it's in chapter two that we're going to be talking about the second soul, the godly soul. But in the rest of chapter one, the Alter Rebbe introduces us to the very enigmatic understanding of the first soul, the primary soul in every single Jew. And that is your animal soul, your natural soul. If you want to understand anything, you've got to go back to its root. What is the root of the animal soul within us? It's rooted in a spiritual energy called klipa. Now, klipa is a very important concept for us to become familiar with. I'd like to introduce to you carefully this topic of Klippa because once you grasp it, hopefully you'll, be, you'll never see the world in the same way again. You'll never see reality in the same way again. This is a very, uh, um, a, a very typical characteristic of Tanya, that every chapter of Tanya that you learn has the power to, to transform your perception of reality in some element. And hopefully that's going to happen today in chapter one with the introduction of the topic of Kalipa. Kalipa is, again, it's the origin of the animal soul. Before we discuss the animal soul, let me just uh, explain what Kalipa itself is. So Kalipa literally translates as a peel, P-E-E-L, a peel, like a banana peel. It serves to protect the fruit that lies within it. It's a good thing. The peel is a good thing. You know, you got the peel of the banana, the peel of the orange. Without the peel, you know, by the time you get the fruit, it would be disgusting. After it traveled from Mexico through to through the ports and arrived uh, to, your, to, 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 to the grocery store, to your house, if the banana wasn't, wasn't packaged, it would be horrible. Nobody would ever be able to eat it. But because it comes in this beautiful, godly packaging, that's why we're able to, to eat it in, under such sanitary conditions. So whilst kalipa means a peel or a shell, and there's nothing wrong 
with a peel or a shell in and of itself. The problem becomes when you choose to focus your attention only on the peel or the shell. Imagine. Imagine a person sees a banana, takes the peel, and throws out the fruit. I mean, that's absurd. It's ridiculous. We would never do such a thing. But on a spiritual sense, we do that all of the time. We throw out the fruit and we just are left holding the peel. And we think that we're doing well by holding the peel. Let me give an example of a celebrity. Who We make today celebrities out of who? Out of journalists. Anderson Cooper, Shepard Smith, Don Lemon, I think his name is. You know, who are these people? They're just people that bring the news to you. I mean, there's really nothing extraordinary about them. They're, they're news readers. <laughs> That's it. They read off a script. That's all that they do. There's nothing special about them. There's the story that's being reported. And then there's the person that's bringing the story to you. So if you're going to make a big deal, a celebrity, out of the journalist, what you're doing is, is that you're making a big deal out of the peel and you're throwing out the banana. The same thing goes for a celebrity out of an actor. Taking an actor, Leonardo DiCaprio or uh, Gal Gadot, and what are you going to do? You're going to make a celebrity out of the actor or the actress. When in reality, all the actor is doing is following the instructions of the screenwriter, of the director of the film, of the real brains behind what was going on over here. The only thing that's exciting about the actor is the fact that you see them on the big screen. When you see them on the big screen or the journalist on the big screen or the, the Wonder Woman on the big screen, suddenly you're like in awe because that's the part that you see. Just like the banana peel, the part that you see is what's exciting to you and you forget that this is just a representation of even greater talent that lies, that lies beneath the surface. When we as a, as a society make a big deal, make a celebrity out of the journalist or the actor, we are literally focusing on the superficial and ignoring what lies within. The journalist and the actor is, is just the, the conduit. They're not the destination. They're the peel. They're not the fruit. Let me apply it on a personal level. So I'm a rabbi, right? I'm a rabbi. But what's my goal as a rabbi? If this is all about me, then I'd like to you to be connected to me. I want to be the personality. I want to be the celebrity. I want to be the person that you turn to for all of your spiritual needs because I'm the person that you see when you study Torah. But in reality, I'm just a waiter that's bringing to you the teachings of Hashem. The role of a rabbi is to take you by the hand and bring you to Hashem. Bring you to your, to your own organic connection to Hashem. This is the reason why in Shul, when we dive in the cantor, what is the chazan face? The chazan stands with his back to the congregation. I believe in the reform, maybe the conservative also. The, the cantor faces the congregation. Whereas in, 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 in a traditional Shul, the, the chazan faces with his back to the congregation. What's the difference? If you're facing the congregation, it's all about the cantor. If it's about the cantor, then the cantor should be facing the congregation because, hello, 
The show is happening. I don't want to be facing your back while you're performing to me, right? But if the chazan is merely the conduit, is merely the, the broker between the Jew and God, then it's not about me facing the congregation. It's about me leading. I'm the driver. I'm taking you. It's like the train driver or the bus driver who has his back to you because it's about the destination. It's not about the bus driver. Imagine, imagine we made a celebrity out of bus drivers. It would be absurd. Like, why are we making a big deal out of the bus driver? That is a klipa mentality. It is a superficial mentality where you make a big deal out of the peel and forget about the fruit. Where it's all about the rabbi or it's all about the cantor and it's and you just forgot about the destination. You forgot about, about Hashem. As a shliach of the Rebbe, as an emissary of the Rebbe, I know that my job is to have the light shine through me. I also recognize how important it is for people to have someone to connect with on a very practical level. Right. If you remember, this is part of the reason why Christianity was an offshoot of Judaism, because Judaism was a little too abstract for, for people because we believe in this in this invisible God. And and then the Gentiles, the nations of the world, they needed like some physical manifestation of God. They needed a Buddha. They needed a they needed a, a guy hanging on the wall. They needed some sort of an idol that they could relate to because as people, we need to relate to people. So as a, as a shliach, as an emissary of the rabbi, I know that the, the goal is to have the light shine through me, but at the same time, I need to be there for the people. So what I do is I face the congregation part of the time, but my goal is eventually to wean the congregation off of me so that they can get onto their own two feet and connect to Hashem on their own level. I know when somebody walks into shul for the very first time, he feels like a fish out of water. He walks into shul and he's completely self-conscious thinking everybody else knows how to pray at 100, 150 words a minute. And this guy feels, or this woman feels like she doesn't know anything, completely sticking out like a sore thumb. But when she sees my face, oh, the rabbi, I know the rabbi. The rabbi's into my house. We've had drinks together. So now she feels, or he feels a connection. They feel more comfortable. So that's why it's important for me to be there for the people so that they can see me, right? To face them. But then once they're comfortable, I turn away. Because I want you to know I'm here for you, but at the same time, this is about you and your connection to Hashem. In fact, this really is the difference between a cantor and a, um, a shliach tzibur. A cantor and a shliach tzibur, which a shliach tzibur is like the, uh, is the representative of the congregation. That's how you say a chazan in, in Hebrew, is someone who represents the congregation. So the, the previous rabbi despised the term cantor, the term chazan. He was like, you don't come to shul for a show. It's not an opera performance. You come to shul to have a driver, to have the, the shliach tzibur, the emissary of the congregation, to represent you before God. But if it becomes about the cantor, then we've completely missed the plot. Let's apply the same theme to uh, politics. So on the money, it says that in God we trust. But how many of us in recent times, have replaced in God with trust with in Trump we trust, or in Obama, or Biden we trust, to the point that instead of looking at our politicians as conduits for Hashem's blessing, for Hashem's governance of the, of the world, of the country, we look at our politicians as the be-all and end-all, as if they are God themselves. 
if Trump is in power, then I'm happy or I'm sad. If uh, Obama is in power or whatever, uh, Biden, then I am, it's gonna, it's a disaster. It's the end of the world or it's, uh, it's, it's uh, the, the beginning of the world. As if these people hold true power over us. We forget that they are just the peel. They are just the expression of God's blessing, of God's nurture to this earth. And they are not God in their own right. To think of them as having all wielding power over us is, is effectively idolatry. And that is klipa. That is this, this absurd and irrational focus on the peel whilst ignoring the, um, the fruit itself. And I want you to know this idea is the story of Jewish history. If we take a quick example from the Purim story, the Purim story, the problem of the Purim story, the Talmud tells us the reason why the Jews were worthy of annihilation is because they went to the feast of Ahasuerus, that, that six-month-long feast of Ahasuerus, at which Ahasuerus, the king, they basically pledged allegiance to Ahasuerus. And they said, look, we don't need Hashem's help anymore because King Ahasuerus is going to protect us. We have, we have a friend in the White House. We have a friend in the palace. The king himself is our friend and he's going to protect us. So we don't need Hashem. And that's why against Mordechai's instructions, the, many of the Jewish people attended the Feast of Ahasuerus. So since they, they, they turned their backs on God and put their trust, not in God, but they trust in Ahasuerus, that's why they were worthy of the decree of annihilation. That's what the Talmud says. And is the same thing not happening today where we're putting our trust in the White House instead of putting our trust in God? And on a more personal level, well, I think the politics is really pretty personal, but on a personal level, the same thing goes for your doctor. There's many people that put their trust in their doctor or the trust in the hospital that, say, that saved their life. And they'll, they'll, talk, they'll, they'll kiss the ground that the doctor walks on. They'll give all their money to the hospital, you know, to the hospital's charitable foundation because they feel that the hospital, the doctor saved their life and they don't see the doctor or the hospital as the angel, as the emissary that is bringing the, the healing from Hashem. It's only God that created the illness and it's only God that is the healer of all flesh. But God chooses to heal us through the doctor. God chooses to, to protect us through the politicians and the armies. God chooses to uh, solve our problems through the lawyers. This is the meaning of Klippa. It's focusing on the journey instead of the, just, of the destination. Focusing on the superficial instead of what lies within. To be a Jew is to engage with what we have, but to always see the bigger picture. Not to lose sight of the forest because of the trees. Imagine walking around all day long with your eyes focused on your dirty glasses. Imagine you could live like that. Yeah, Peter's bringing an example of the golden calf. It's exactly right. The golden calf, it's a very good example. What were they doing with the golden calf? They, they were saying, this is your gods, O Israel. What, what, I mean, what were they doing? Why did they make a golden calf? They made a golden calf because they thought Moses had died. And if Moses had died, then who's going to care for us? Who's going to provide for us? So they figured we're going to have to make a golden calf. We need an idol. We need something that we can, that, that we'll be able to provide for our needs because we need a peel. We need a clipper. 
We need a celebrity. We need a journalist or something, you know, that's going to be able to, they just forgot about Hashem. Of course, Hashem is going to provide for us. God, God himself is going to provide for us. But they completely forgot about the fruit and they just focused on the peels. They're like, we need another peel. And that's why they created the golden calf. This is the essence of idolatry. This is the essence, Peter, of what Jews have struggled with since the very beginning of time. It's like a pattern of history. That what happens is we, we start off wealthy, healthy, prosperous, life is great. We reach the top and we become filled with avarice and gluttony and, and we feel like we don't need anybody else. We, we can take care of us ourselves. I have my Lamborghini, my say, seven houses. I've got, I've got all the money in the world. I don't need anybody else, right? And we become so arrogant. We forget about God. We focus all about, we, 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 we put our trust in our bank account. We put our trust in our real, real estate investments. We put our trust in our lawyer and in our brokerage firm. Flipa, right? We forget about God. And then what happens? God says, oh, you turned your back on me. I'll turn my back on you. Have a nice day. And then what happens? We come crashing down to the bottom. And at the very bottom, when we're beaten, bruised, abused, impoverished, unhealthy, whatever suffering we're going through. It's at, it's at that point that we remember one second. Hang on, hang on. We, we, uh, we, have, um, we have a God. There's a master to this universe, right? We remember that there's a master to the universe and then we turn back to Hashem. And slowly but surely Hashem, Hashem says, oh, you, you, you want a relationship with me? No problem. I'll, I'll have a relationship with you. And then we start to build up the relationship and, 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 and throughout and, and the cycle in Jewish history rises again, where we're doing great, our enemies leave us, we start to heal, life is good, we start to prosper, we reach the top again, and we become, we forget about God again, all over again. This is literally the cycle of Jewish history. When you read through Jewish history, it happens over and over again to the point of insanity. And today in 2021, it's about time, friends. You know, until 25 years ago, when, we, when you were kids, you didn't have time to learn about Jewish history. You had to survive. You know, you were still trying to, your parents are still trying to make a living. You, they were trying to just keep up with the Joneses and, and just, you know, be prosperous Americans. But today, we have time in our hands. Today, we're able to look back at Jewish history and, and realize the ridiculous pattern. Let's not be a klipa. This is the klipa which Tanya is introducing to us. I see a question coming in from Rob Berger, a long one. Good. Is the Rebbe appeal? Is there not an obsession with the Rebbe? I believe God sends certain charismatic people to lead, and there's nothing wrong with that. Our whole history is based on klipa. Rob, it's a very, very delicate balance. So I, I, I'd, like you to, I'd like you to replace the word Rebbe with Moses. Take the word Rebbe, replace it in your question with Moses. Is Moses' appeal? The Jews were clearly obsessed with Moses to the point that when he died, they thought he died on Mount Sinai. That's when they, they made the golden calf. So the answer to you, Rob, is yes. I mean, Jews have struggled with, you know, with understanding that the Moses of the generation is not the source of your, is not the source of your blessing. The Rebbe, the Moses of the generation is only a, an advocate for you. He is the guide that will lead you to God. But to pray to the Rebbe, to pray to Moses is idolatry. Absolutely. Now, Tanya chapter one tells us, now that we've got a clearer understanding on the mentality of superficiality, the mentality of Kalipa, now listen to this. The Tanya tells us in chapter one, an earth shattering revelation. Your primary soul comes from where? From Klippa. 
your primary soul is rooted in superficiality to the point that you judge a book by its cover. And that's what defines you. Your second soul is a soul of truth. But that comes later at the bar mitzvah maybe, hopefully. But our primary default setting as human beings is such that we judge a book by its cover. We lose sight of the forest because of the trees. We see a celebrity and we forget about the screenwriter. We make a celebrity out of the waiter and we forget about the chef. We judge by what our eyes see. And that's the reason, Rob, why we make the mistake, some people might make the mistake, of turning the rabbi or the rebbe into their God. But the rebbe is never going to let you do that, and I'm never going to let you do that. You know, if you have a very charismatic rabbi and people want to say, oh, you should be the Messiah or something, right? A Chabad rabbi is never going to let you get away with that. And the Rebbe will certainly never let you get away with that because the Rebbe's whole essence is a representation of who he represents. The Rebbe is, the Rebbe is a walking humility. In fact, the same role is what was played by the Jewish king, the monarch. The, now, the Jewish king was supposed to be the epitome of humility. For example, when we daven, we bow at the beginning of the Amidah and at the end of the silent Amidah. But the Jewish king would bow at the beginning of the Amidah and stay down all the way to the end of the Amidah. Every Jew is commanded to write a Torah scroll. It's a 613th commandment. You have to write a Torah scroll once in your life. But a Jewish king had to write two Torah scrolls, one like a regular person, and a second Torah scroll he had to carry with him wherever he went all the time except for the bathroom. By carrying the Torah with him, this was a visual that you're looking at the king and you're bowing to the king, but you always remember that the king that I'm bowing to is a representation of Hashem who he represents. Rob says, until I can talk to God personally, I have to rely on trust in an intermediary. Yeah, rely, go through the intermediary. Look, I use an intermediary too. I don't go, I don't say Hashem, heal me from my illness. I gotta go to the doctor, but I know the doctor is the intermediary of Hashem. As long as you know, that the doctor is the intermediary, that the army is the intermediary for Hashem's blessing, uh, that the lawyer, that the stock market, as long as you know that everything is appeal, it's fantastic. As long as you classify the peel of the banana as the peel and you don't discard the fruit, the peel has served its purpose. The problem is when you throw away the fruit and you're left with the peel, what are you going to do now? But as human beings, that what the Tanya is telling us in chapter one, and this is an earth shattering revelation. What the Tanya is telling us is that our souls are rooted in Klippa. We are superficial by our definition. And by the way, this is the reason why probably the most successful industry in the history of the world, the most profitable industry in the world is smoke and mirrors, is the marketing industry. How much do they pay for those ads in the Super Bowl? What is it? A, a uh, million dollars for a second or something. It's like ridiculous numbers. Just think, think about how idiotic it sounds that Coca-Cola takes a picture, ma makes a, an ad of a, a young woman on a hot day. She's beautiful and she's drinking Coca-Cola and it says, drink Coca-Cola, right? I mean, am I so 
so stupid to think that if I drink Coca-Cola, I'm going to look like her. I mean, does anybody in their right mind think that? The answer is yes. Because since our souls are rooted in klipa, in superficiality, what we, we judge by what our eyes see. We associate the picture of a beautiful young woman with the Coca-Cola. And that's what the marketing geniuses have figured out. They figured out that the way that the human being works is based upon what you see, not anything to do with facts. The facts have nothing to do with it. And, and one of the people who realized this early on was Joseph Goebbels, may his name be blotted out and erased. He was the father of modern day propaganda. What he did was for the Nazis is that he realized that if you can say a lie enough times, then people begin to believe it as truth. Right. So when Fox News, for example, will say um, something like, what do they say? Fair and balanced. Like, does anybody in their right mind think that, that Fox News is giving you only the objective, only the objective view of the news? That we're, not, we're not giving our own, our own bias here. God forbid. I mean, we're only giving you the news as it is. By saying it enough times, fair and balanced, right? we superficial clipper people, we actually believe it because they've said it enough times. So why has there not been a new Rebbe in nearly 30 years? So Rob, I'll tell you this, that I believe that there is a Rebbe right now. Ooh, lots of questions coming in on YouTube. Uh, okay, I'm going to get to YouTube in just a second. But let me just address Rob's question. I believe that there is a Rebbe right now. The Rebbe told us that um, the next leader of Israel will be the Mashiach. I think the Rebbe is still with us because what the Rebbe did is, is what no Jewish leader in the history of the world has done, except for Moses. Just like Moses imparted his spirit to the 70 elders, the Rebbe imparted his spirit to the 6,000 Chabad houses around the world. He made it very, very clear that the Chabad houses are his shluchim, are his emissaries. And he said, the leader, uh, according from the Talmud, the emissary of a person is the person himself. So I believe that the Rebbe endowed the Shluchim to be the manifestations of his, of, his, of his light and of his power. So we Chabad rabbis are the extensions of the Rebbe, and I believe that is the answer. So I was saying an example. Imagine walking around all day long with a pair of glasses and dirt on your glasses, and all you see is the dirt on your glasses. In other words, instead of using your glasses as the, as the, as the ability to see the beauty all around you, all day long you're stuck in just seeing the conduit. Not the destination. You're just stuck all day long in seeing, in seeing just the dirt in your glasses. You'd be living a dysfunctional life. You've got to look through your glasses in order to progress in life. The one who dwells on klipa is the one who focuses on his, dirt, uh, on his dirty glasses. The biggest insult you can give to a chassid is to tell him that he's a yesh. A yesh, a yesh means a something. And the biggest compliment you can give to a chassid is to tell him that he's an ayin, which means a nothing. Our goal as Hasidim is to let the Rebbe shine through us and not to obstruct the light. If I'm arrogant and you can sense the ego oozing out of me, then I'm a yesh. But if you can hear me speak and, 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 and instead of feeling David Vigler, you sense the, the light of the Alter Rebbe, for example, that I'm trying to represent or the Rebbe who sent me or Hashem who sent us all, right? That is then I'd be fulfilling my mission. So this is a very fine and subtle divine service. 
of which we can very easily vacillate. And that's what we have to always remind ourselves of our, of our striving towards humility, right? So klipa is means superficial. And I guess in English, uh, uh, it would be superficial in English. The opposite of, of klipa, I always like to define things by their opposite. The opposite of klipa would be x-ray vision. So if you have an x-ray vision, it means you don't get stuck in the exterior. You go straight through to the essence, right? So, whereas your godly soul in chapter two has got x-ray vision, your first soul, your primary soul is rooted in klipa, in superficiality. It's the same mentality which, which allows us to eat junk food. What's junk food? Junk food is food that you know is bad for you. It's going to give you a stomach ache. It's going to make you fat. You know you're going to regret this for weeks, but for 10 seconds or maybe half an hour of pleasure, because the food looks good, that's why I'm going to eat it, even though I'm going to suffer for a week, right? Because it looks good. It's, it's like irrational. It's completely irrational. The reason we want to eat junk food is because we come from klipa. We come from superficiality. So the peel, again, it's not evil in and of itself. It's only in my perception that it becomes evil. If I divorce the doctor from the true healer of all flesh, if I divorce the lawyer and the judge from the true decider of my fate, that's when it becomes evil. But if in my perception, I see the, the, the doctor as the emissary, as the lawyer as the emissary, the army as the emissary, the politician as God's emissary, then I see the banana and the peel. It's great. Question is, where is your mindset? Where is your mindset? Where do you live? And that's a very, very powerful question that we left with at the end of chapter one. The question we left with is, are you able to get over the, over the peel? <laughs> are you able to get into the fruit? Do you have the courage to overcome the superficial looks and go beneath the surface? And that's the test of being a Jew. You know, later, much later in Tanya, we'll learn things like how everything that happens to us is good. Every single thing that happens to us is good. No evil descends from above. If something looks like it's evil, it means, it means that it's hidden good and you got to find the good within. You got to have the x-ray vision, right? To be able to see, to see within. And that's, that's a very, very advanced application of this concept, right? Now, I'm just going to conclude with one, with one thing over here and, and saying this, that there are two different kinds of clipper. There's a clipper which is completely useless in and of itself. So the banana peel is useless in and of itself. And then there's an apple peel. The apple peel is not useless in and of itself. It protects the fruit, but it's also edible, right? It's also edible. It also serves a good purpose. So there's two kinds of clipper of superficiality. There's the completely bad clipper, and then there's the... The klipa, which we call klipa snoga, the klipa of light. It's like a transparent klipa. It's got good, it's got a benefit to it as well. The soul of the Jew is rooted in the, in the klipa of light, which has good traits and bad traits to it. The soul of the Gentiles is rooted in klipas, in, in the shalash klipas atmeas, in the three impure klipas, which are just plain bad. Right? What that means is not that the Gentiles are evil people, God forbid. What it means is that the Gentiles are rooted in uh, superficiality, which is self-serving, 
and that the Jews have an element of selflessness to them as well. So they have an element of selflessness to their superficiality as well. So, so they are able to do things that are not completely selfish, which is an anomaly because as a human being, everything in this universe, in fact, is all about self-preservation. Animals eat in order, they kill in order to eat. Everyone has a self-preservation instinct. There's no such thing as like, like, a, like a cow that would give up its food so another cow can eat. You know, as, as, as creatures of this universe, we have a self-preservation instinct. And, and human beings also have that. It's only the Jew that's been given this out-of-world experience to be able to have a, to be rooted in a, in a clippa, which is a different kind of clippa. It's like a, it's a clippa of light. It's a superficiality that has within it not just bad, but also some elements of selflessness to it as well, which is why the Jew is able to do good deeds, his animal soul is able to want to do good deeds. For example, charity, right? If a Gentile gives charity, at the end of the day, it's because he wants to get the, you know, he wants to be recognized. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be recognized. I mean, why else would somebody give $50 million to charity? Like, why would you want to just get rid of $50 million without anybody knowing about it, right? But a Jew is capable of doing that for selfless reasons, whilst a Gentile has, has selfish uh, concerns as well. So I would say that for that the way of the Gentile is the normal way. The way of the Jew is like, it's like an out of this world thing. Like, why would you even want to do something on a selfless level if it doesn't serve you at all in any which way whatsoever? Like, like why would you even want to do that? It's, it's, it's kind of difficult. People like to say that they're being selfless, but then at the end of the day, heaven help you if you don't recognize them, if you don't thank them, if you don't acknowledge them, God forbid, right? Heaven help you, right? So as much as they say that, 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 they're, that they're doing it for selfless reasons, you know, when the, the proof is in the pudding, right? Um, so a Jew is capable of reaching that level of selflessness. That's like an, an anomaly of the Jews. And that's the conclusion of chapter one of Tanya, where we've learned this earth-shattering uh, transformational perception of reality. What we've learned today is, friends, is that we are superficial by definition. And if you want to make a lot of money, go into advertising. The movie industry is all about, it's based on this idea. It's based on this idea that if you, if you want to teach humanity ethics or values, put it into the big screen. That's all. Just put it into the big screen. You can be preaching sermons to the cows come home and nobody cares. But if you put it up on a big giant screen in a cinema in a way that they can visualize it, that's when you've got their attention. And that's why we here at Chabad are doing a lot more video stuff. And we're trying to get better at our video stuff, even though they don't train us this in rabbi school, because we realize that if you want to truly make an impact in people's lives, you have to ride the train of superficiality. You've got to put it into a, a movie. I mean, how many people have, have been inspired by Shtisel? <laughs> you know, versus how many people have been inspired by, by the Chumash. Think about it, you know. It's like, it, it's almost absurd how much uh, people are inspired by a movie more than a book, right? Why, why, why would you be inspired by a movie more than a book? Because it's visual. And if you realize our pathology of how we are we're inherently flawed by having this limitation, we can start to realize, okay, now at least I know who I am. I, this, I now know why I'm attracted to junk food and to relationships that are bad for me only because they look pretty, right? <laughs> and and it's that that's how we're able to um, 
slowly work our way towards self-mastery, which is the journey of the Tanya. I'd like to welcome Robert Saunders, uh, who is uh, power washing, I believe, our our, our show right now. Uh, thank you very, very, very much uh, for that very generous contribution, Robert. Really appreciate that very, very much. Let me just take a quick look at the comments coming in on on uh, YouTube. They seem to be fast and furious. Good morning, Keith, uh, but aren't you better both? Uh, whoa, some conservative congregations have can't face the Aaron, but Rabbi faces con- Genius carry the Torah by the kings, that the bowing is bowing to the Torah, which says, do not bow to idols. Genius, good, good. So you got that. You got the point that the king is carrying... Um, is carrying a Torah, which has don't bound to idols. Exactly right. Anyways, thank you very much, everybody, for joining me here on this live broadcast. You were just saying we make the Rebbe the Mashiach like we don't worship the Rebbe, but the Mashiach should also not be worshipped. Correct. I got that part, Joe. All right, Joe. Very good. Josh. Josh. All right, good. So definitely we don't want to want, want to worship the Rebbe, that's for sure. Um, but we also don't want to worship uh, Jesus. I'm not sure who said that point over there. This guy, Wellesley, whatever. So we don't want to, obviously, that would be a, a human being, and that would be the a- absolute definition of idolatry. So we definitely do not want to do that. Um, anyways, thank you very much, everybody, for joining me for today's Tanya class. Tomorrow morning, we continue with Hasidus broadcast, uh, 8.30. Thank you very much, everybody, for joining me today. Shalom and have a wonderful day. Be well.